take a moment to consider all the factors that impact your health. What comes to mind? Your diet? Perhaps your lifestyle, like whether you exercise, drink, or smoke? Maybe you thought about your family history of diseases like cancer or diabetes. But health and well-being go beyond that. The field of public health is about thinking broader, thinking beyond the individual, about how our built environment affects us, how laws and policies impact us, and how the social forces influence our behavior and well-being. Each week, this podcast will discuss one topic from the wonderful world of public health to reveal these ubiquitous hidden forces and artifacts. One episode at a time, we will show how public health is all around us. Welcome to Everything is Public Health. Everything is Public Health. Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. Now, from the title of this show, we're going to talk about air pollution. And I'm just going to make a promise that I'm not going to talk about how much I hate cars because I've done that too many times. You have done it. I was listening back to some of the earlier episodes <laughs> and you told the same car hating story and the fact that you don't drive cars in not one but two episodes. So yes, everyone knows you don't like cars. Hold me to that promise. I'm not going to talk about how much I hate cars, even though this topic would suggest otherwise that is very pertinent. But anyway, not going to talk about cars anymore. So water was a relatively recent episode at the time of recording. And if running water is something we take for granted, air is something that we take even more for granted because we just expect it to be there because it's, we kind of need it to live, I it guess. Is, um, air is a necessity. And I think for most people, it's not something we ever think about. You breathe in, you breathe out. You know, if you have some kind of chronic lung or breathing issue, you may think about it more. So like I have asthma, so I do have to keep an eye on air quality. Like when the air quality gets bad, I, I try not to go for walks that are too long. And I certainly don't run because otherwise I'm, I'm destined to have a, an asthma attack. So there are certain people who might think about it more than others. But for the most part, it's just like it's a function that's controlled in the sort of most basic parts of our brain that we don't really think about. Yeah, but it's definitely something that really, really impacts our health, as we will see. So before we dive into air pollution, there's a few terminologies I want to talk about first. So there's a difference between greenhouse gases and air pollutants. So air pollutants is a very vague umbrella term that simply means pollutants in the air. And it doesn't really have like a very specific scientific definition. But for the sake of the conversation that we'll have today, I'm going to separate out greenhouse gases from air pollutants. Okay. Greenhouse gases are, and I hesitate to use this term because it gets hijacked a lot, but greenhouse gases are quote unquote natural gases that are responsible for the greenhouse effect. So things like carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, and water vapors. And they are natural in a sense that they occur naturally in the environment and when it comes to climate change, we're more talking about the high levels that they have rather than they're alienists. They're not alien. They're they're in the atmosphere already. <laughs> they're not aliens. They're not aliens. <laughs> they're here already and they Thank will be here. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> and the reason why I hesitate to use the term naturally occurring is because in the 80s, the fossil fuel companies hijacked this term to sort of downplay the severity of climate change. So basically, you're like, you know, methane, carbon dioxide, whatever. But these are just naturally occurring gases. So why are we worried about them? So it's a classic diversion. It's a quantity issue, right? right. So they may be naturally occurring, but they aren't naturally occurring at the quantities they are now present in because of the contributions that man has made to things in the air, for lack of a better term. That was a really weird way to say that. 
Man-made, man-made stuff, human impact. So those are greenhouse gases, naturally, quote-unquote, naturally occurring gases. We're not going to talk about those today, although those are important. We're going to focus more on air pollutants in the more colloquial and common sense of the word, in that it is things that is not supposed to be there and are actively harmful, like lead is one of the things that we talked about. Right. We've talked about lead in gas and how if you're burning leaded gas in cars, you know, that was contributing to lead exposure, leaded gas in planes, right? The small planes that we talked about in the airport. Those are the kinds of things that we're thinking about with pollutants. So yeah, so we're going to focus more on the not traditional sense, but the more colloquial sense of the word pollutant today. And there are essentially two types. Uh, there are more, but there are, the main two types are smog and soot. So smog is actual gases. So these are Carbon monoxide is like a byproduct burn. When you burn fuel inefficiently, it produces carbon monoxide. It's not carbon dioxide because carbon dioxide is something that's naturally occurring, but carbon monoxide is something that is a little bit more dangerous. So these are gases. So smog, anything that's in in a gaseous phase, gaseous, gaseous, <laughs> anything that's yeah. a gas is considered smog. Does that include like if there is? A fire, for example, that's burning, would the smoke from that fire be included in the smog category or does that fall somewhere else? It falls in the soot category. So soot are tiny particles in the air. So they behave like gas because they're so small, but technically they are solid or liquid. Does that make sense? Yes. They're so small that they're basically like aerosolized, right? like floating around in the air, but they're not actually a gas. Okay. Yeah. So for example, the smoke particles, theoretically, you could gather those and then it will form like this, you know, black stuff on walls, right? So that's soot. Smog is actual gas. Right. So you could think about after a fire has gone through and as the sort of soot settles, like it can leave a layer of black dust, right? That would be the stuff that's sort of settling out of the air. Okay. Yeah. So smog and soot are the two main types of air pollutants. And we're going to talk about both today, but those are the distinction that we want to separate. So we're going to talk about air pollutants, smog, and soot. Now, air pollution as a problem, the scale of this problem is a lot bigger than any of us could ever possibly imagine. And before I go anywhere into the numbers, I just want to say, first and foremost, the most significant contributor of air pollution in the modern world is burning fossil fuels. Hands down, period. That is the most significant contributor of air pollution. So most of these numbers, although they're talking about air pollution in general, just know that the vast majority of that comes from burning fossil fuels. And I think we talked about this in a prior episode, but I think it's important for people to remember that, yes, humans contribute to the burning of fossil fuels when they're driving cars, when you know they're traveling, those kinds of things. But isn't it like 70% of global emissions are yeah. contributed by 100 companies? So we're talking about sort of the, the behaviors of a small group of corporations that are leading to substantial fossil fuel burning and and gas emissions. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that point up because it's a very important point. It was a perfect segue to where we're going. But essentially, yes, you were correct. When we talk about burning fossil fuels, we're not talking about your SUV, right? We're not talking about the commuting that you do every day. We're talking about energy production, essentially. We're talking about coal 
power plants. We're talking about, I don't know what else we burn fossil fuel for besides creating energy. I guess the main reason that we burn fossil fuel. Yeah. So most of these are attributable to these companies instead of like you as an individual. Although to be fair, it's good to be mindful of our impact. Absolutely. But to say that this is because you you drive your SUV, it's a little misleading, which is the strategy that a lot of corporations are trying to do to sort of get us to uh, like shame us almost. Yeah, shift the blame away from their manufacturing and production strategies that contribute to fossil fuel and burning and gas emissions yeah. and rather make people think, oh, I need to do all of these things perfectly to be able to reduce my impact, which every little small thing helps. You don't have to do everything perfectly. Yeah. Just keep that in mind. While we should be mindful of our actions, our actions are incomparable to what these companies are doing. Um, so this is getting a little old, but quiz time. <laughs> <laughs> Because why not? It's never um, it's never old for a quiz. I like to test my knowledge. Although I will say this time I do have the file open in front of me. So if you're oh, going to no. ask me, you should have warned me. I wouldn't have scrolled down so I can see the... How far have you seen? I'm looking at the scale of the problem section. Okay. Well, close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> we can frame this as a quiz for our listeners. How about that? Oh, that's a great idea. So... If I were to ask you, hey, of everyone in the world, how many people live in places where air pollution exceeds WHO guidelines? How many people live in places where the WHO say this is a little too much air pollution? Right, we'll give listeners a moment to chew on that. <laughs> this is like Dora, where she pauses looking at the camera. <laughs> yeah, and you're supposed to shout it out. Okay, listeners, it's 90%. Yes, it is. Almost dystopianly high. That that's pretty much everyone. If you think about it, but, yeah. pretty much everyone live in a place where the air pollution exceeds WHO guidelines. Now, I will say, I looked into these guidelines, and these guidelines are—they're not outrageously strict, but they're definitely on the safer side of things. Which makes sense. Like, sure. And if the goal is to make improvements, you should set the standards on the safer side. The way people change their behaviors to strive to get them. If you just said oh, well, this is where we are right now, so like, don't get any worse, then people don't necessarily have the same motivation to make changes. Exactly. But speaking of the US, how many Americans live in counties with unhealthy levels of air pollution? All right, listeners, 40%. 40%. So still a very, very high That's number. A really and high this number. is the standards that we have set ourselves. This is American standards, which is not even WHO standards. I'm assuming this varies by geography and like oh, urban density, right? So it's not, yes, it's 40% of all Americans, but that 40% is not distributed equally across the US, no. right? So I'm assuming folks who live in more urban, more densely populated areas, a greater proportion of them are exposed to high levels of air pollution as opposed to folks living in rural areas where it may be much lower, although there are still sort of occupations in rural areas that could expose people like farming and mining and those kinds of things. But I think in aggregate, you would assume that less densely populated areas are going to have lower levels of air pollution. This reminds me of a story. Back when I was still on Facebook, back when Facebook hasn't been hijacked by a bunch of crazy people. And then, you know, sometimes you you come across these climate change posts by the New York Times, by whatever these media outlets where they talk about climate change stuff. So one of those posts was about air pollution and it named 10 of the worst U.S. cities by air pollution. So 10 worst air pollution cities in the U.S. And a lot of them okay. are in California. So L.A., 
San Francisco, makes sense. San Diego, and there's this comment that it was very, it was very politically charged comment that I can't repeat on live radio. Or not live. I can't I mean, repeat you, on you radio. You could, you you could just redact it. I mean, I as listeners <laughs> know, my language vocabulary is quite peppery, and so we have to redact it sometimes. Multiple times, sometimes. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah. So there was this comment that I will paraphrase. They basically says, "Oh, that's because there's too many liberals there," or something to that along that line I'm of not thought. Not quite sure how being a liberal makes one more likely to be exposed to air pollution, but okay. Yeah, don't know why, but. This was back when Facebook was experimenting with like locations. So next to everyone's name, not everyone's name, but some of people's name will say where they're from. So like sure. Oakland, California, whatever. And this person's name next to it says Montana. <gasps> and I'm, I just thought to myself, do you know why there's no pollution in Montana? It's because nobody lives, nobody lives in, in Montana. Montana. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Montana. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But there are not a lot of. I mean, there are some areas of Montana, obviously, that have a more dense population than other parts of Montana. But right, like the population of Montana is there's not a lot of folks out there. No, it's either Montana or Wyoming being the least populous state, one of the two. But there's not a lot of people living in either of those states, which is why it's so beautiful. I guess there's just not a lot of people there. Yeah, there's there's no people there to ruin. Yeah, all the beautiful nature. Exactly. But anyway, so the next one. Estimates differ, but sources agree that air pollution has a significant mortality burden across the world. In a given year, how many deaths are attributable to air pollution across the globe? Okay, let's make up our own jingle. That's redacted. Terrible. <laughs> Guess what? I'm keeping that in. <laughs> oh, of course. So, listeners, welcome back. <laughs> the answer is between six and eight million deaths per year globally. Now, you might think, oh, there's, what, seven, eight billion people on Earth? That doesn't seem like a lot. But here's the thing. If you count the total number of people that died, it's one in nine or one in 10. Yeah, about 10%. That's alarming. 10% of people who are dying across the globe every year have a death that is attributable to air pollution. Yeah. So this is a very serious problem. So to put things in even more perspective, we are currently in a pandemic still. In one year, air pollution very likely kills more than double of COVID, just to put things in perspective. So where are we at? COVID just broke 5 million or something. COVID, yeah, COVID just broke 5 million. But that spread out over one and a half year, almost two years, because it started 2020 and we're in 2021. So mm -hmm. almost one and a half year. Right. So in a year and a half-ish, COVID has killed more than 5 million people. In a given year, air pollution kills between 6 to 8 million people. So, you know, more people are dying from air pollution than from COVID. But I would argue that in areas where individuals are still struggling to get the pandemic under control because of lack of access to vaccines and other things. Lots of reasons. It's likely that sort of the co-occurrence of high air pollution and the presence of COVID-19 is probably causing sort of even higher rates among those populations than yeah. would be the case otherwise. Yeah, studies are coming out that it's definitely a compounding issue. Air pollution and COVID certainly can work together. Right. COVID's a respiratory disease. If you have... If you just have bad air. Yeah, if you don't have good air quality and you have a respiratory disease, that's likely to make things much, much worse than they might be otherwise. So I mentioned six to eight millions. Uh, that's because 
different sources have different estimations. So to give a few more precise numbers, in 2018, one source, I believe this one's from Harvard, but don't quote me on that, but one source in 2018, (laughs) 8.7 million deaths (laughs) were attributed to air pollution caused by fossil fuel, burning fossil fuels. Another estimate in 2012, around 10 million premature deaths were attributable to air pollution caused by fossil fuels. So how does air pollution cause death? The human brain is not really great at processing chronic and vague causes. So when when we say air pollution is causing death, we're not saying that there are people out there who's actively coughing and struggling to breathe. That's not the type of death that we're trying to measure. It's more like these air pollution over chronic exposure increase your risk for other causes of death. So for example, air pollution increases your risk of COPD, which is chronic obstructive chronic obstructive pulmonary disease disorder something this is these are the type that type of stuff we're talking about increases your risk of heart disease increases your risk of stroke and of course increases your risk of cancer because a lot of those stuff that we're burning they release benzenes and other carcinogens into the air and obviously increases lung disease so that's what we mean when we say death attributable to air pollution it's not like people are actively choking right people people are not necessarily although it, it it could, right? You could have could a be. severe be, asthma right. attack. You could have some severe flare-up where you're really struggling to breathe. Mm-hmm. But as we talked about with leaded gas, it can cause cardiovascular issues. You know, you sort of have these chemicals that you're breathing in. The oxygen gets into your blood. Other things get into your blood through, you know, the, the air that you're breathing. And it can cause toxic exposures to things that can cause stresses on your system. Yeah, these are large aggregate population data. We're not collecting individual data like going to a person and say, hey, are you struggling to breathe today? These are aggregate mortality data and aggregate air pollution data, and they sort of compare the two, essentially. Um, There is a ProPublica report that we will link, but they found that if you live next to a industrial plant, like a petroleum plant or something, you have a significantly higher risk of cancer. Makes sense. And that's something that we'll link in the episode description. But again, this refers to one of our episodes, which is uh, environmental racism. Who do you think live next to these factories? It's generally individuals who come from minority communities, individuals who are have grown up with concentrated disadvantage in their communities, generally groups who are not listened to by elected officials, and they end up either being intentionally zoned into these particular areas, thinking about redlining and predatory mortgage lending back um, in the sort of 40s, 50s, and 60s, or even sort of more recently, these plants are being built in these communities because elected officials are not sort of listening to the advocacy that is being brought forth by these communities. You know, it's not going into rich white communities. So no. they're they're putting it into communities, often communities of color. Uh, that don't have the same social capital that they can leverage where elected officials will listen to them. Can you imagine a factory in Beverly Hills? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, there's what no way. What a jarring image. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. But yeah, so that's what we mean when we say air pollution is a very serious cause of mortality around the world. Like where you live, the air you breathe, chronic exposure does increase your risk of all these hosts of issues like stroke and heart disease and cancer. Now, you're probably wondering, how do they get these numbers? How do they like figure out like how many deaths a year are attributable to air pollution caused by fossil fuels? Now, really fancy statistical models. Let me tell you, listeners, when I say that I have tried to read these papers, <laughs> 
I really tried. Okay, I spent about an hour trying to decipher one of these papers, and the conclusion that I walked away with is I don't know how they did it <laughs> because it seems very complicated and technical. They were like math equations that I've never seen before. But these are peer-reviewed papers, so other very smart people read and right. evaluated the quality and methodology of the papers and thought it warranted publication. So I think despite MJ not being able to understand the paper, could not get it. <laughs> I think our listeners can be confident in the numbers that we're providing citing from these papers because Lots of very smart people looked at these papers before they became published. Yeah. So I thought to myself, yeah, maybe I could just read this and give a quick summary about the methods. You know, when I was reading like the abstract, I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, I get what this abstract is trying to say. And I read the introduction. It's like, yeah, yeah, this introduction makes a lot of sense. And the moment I started reading the methods, like (laughs) everything just went over my head. (laughs) Anyway, so just, you know, we'll leave the links in the episode description, feel free to read it if you want to read it. But I guess the general concept is they took mortality data and they took air pollution data and they basically did a bunch of regressions and comparisons to figure out is mortality higher in areas where there's air pollution? If so, by how much? And then they do a lot of other fancy math and they can calculate per increase in air pollution level we can expect from the model how many death? That's, I guess, the general idea. Yeah, that's the, the basic gist behind it. Yes, but it is a lot more complicated than that if you really want to get into it. Get a PhD. Why not? <laughs> In this area. It's fun. It's fun. A get a PhD. It's, fun. it's yeah, hard dive into and math. lonely and challenging and can be depressing sometimes, but it's also fun. And you can do a podcast and people will be like, oh, a PhD is doing a podcast. Well, I mean, you uh, you can do a podcast without a PhD too. That's true. You can. You, anyone can do a podcast. It wouldn't be as good though. <laughs> Thank you, dear listeners, for putting up with us all the time. We appreciate it. We appreciate that you keep coming back for some reason. Must be the witty banter. Must be, because it's definitely not for the explanation of the science, because I couldn't do it. It's okay. We'll give you a pass on that one. So solution, obviously vote with your money and vote with your vote. Support science, support climate initiatives, support eco-friendly stuff. And in general, just be green. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Yes, be green and know that the air we breathe can impact our health. And we... (laughs) The way you started to say the air we breathe, it just like I felt like you were going to launch into a 1980s rock ballad. Like, (laughs) Oh, that is a good rock lyric. Like the air we breathe, you know... The the love we share, the something something. I don't know. That's that was the. I would really tried hard to keep that to myself, but I couldn't help but chuckle. Like a rock band would say, the air we breathe is very important. Yeah, I think a rock band would probably say it better than that. But we get your point. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word so more and more people can learn about the wonderful, omnipresent essence of public health. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at EverythingIsPH or Instagram at EverythingIsPublicHealth. Send us questions or comments to EverythingIsPublicHealth at gmail.com. Also reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Krifasi 
And if you're interested in seeing my delicious gluten-free baking creations, you can follow me on Instagram at CassPhD. Please also give us a rating and a review on wherever you listen to your podcast. It does help us immensely. Don't forget to like, share, and comment as well. If you want to support the podcast directly, we have a Patreon page, and you can find a link for that in the episode description below. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.